Have you ever been reading a celebrity pastor's blog posts or listening to a famous Bible teacher and something jumps out to you and you're just like, how am I the only person seeing this thing? Why isn't anyone talking about it? Well, you're not alone. Welcome to Underdog Theology. This podcast is about looking at what's happening in evangelicalism. I'm talking tweets, I'm talking books, blogs, videos, all of it, and judging it according to scripture. Whether that's reacting to celebrity pastors, teasing about the latest ridiculous battle in the culture war, or just having a little bit of fun together, this show is for all the folks who feel like they're on the outside looking in, who feel like they don't have a voice, who feel like they're an underdog. Welcome to Underdog Theology. Hey, welcome to Underdog Theology, the show that we talk about stuff we don't really know. Some, t- some days we know, some days we don't. Today we do, because we're talking about Joel Webin, and uh, oh boy, I'm going to get some hate for this one, so I'm going to ask everybody right off the bat, if you would please, hit the like button. If you're a fan of this channel, if you're active in the chat, in the comments section, or just you enjoy what we're doing here, you gotta, you gotta hit the like button today, because we're going to get the dislikes flowing, I'm pretty sure. Because we're touching, you know, God's anointed. This keeps on happening. Uh, I keep on getting this with uh, these Christendom 2.0 guys where people will come out of the woodwork and they'll send me messages and they'll send me stuff about how, why don't you talk about Benny Hen? Why don't you go after, you know, this person, that person, Michael, is it Michael? Is it Mike? Michael, Michael, Mike, Todd? You know, go after those guys. Stop coming at my boy. You know, like I get stuff like that all the time. And uh, it's frustrating because these guys, oh, they love to talk about everyone. Oh, they just they just love it. They'll put it in their sermons. They'll put it in their blog posts. They'll make videos about it. And they'll call out Beth Moore and be just like, Beth Moore is the worst. And John MacArthur was right about going home and blah, 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 blah. Oh, we're going to watch some of that stuff today. So I just don't want to hear it anymore. All right. These guys who love, you know, patriarchy and they're Christian nationalists and they and they just like adore these teachers that we're talking about lately with this Christendom 2.0 thing. I'm just tired of hearing it, you know, of, of don't don't go after someone else. No, there's plenty of channels. There are plenty of channels that you can go and you can watch and talk about, you know, I don't know, whatever prosperity gospel preacher is out there. There's a thousand channels like that. Here on this channel, one, it's my channel. And as you guys know who watch this channel, I do what I want. And I want to talk about this. And also because it keeps on happening where these guys are infiltrating things and getting involved with things that's just like, what? Like they don't, they don't see the problems with these guys or, or it's surprising. Like someone will randomly share a video, you know, for me, it's like mostly people from my past, but like they'll, they'll share a video or retweet something. And they're just like, this person's great. And it's just, what, why don't you know? And apparently they don't. So what we're doing here today is we're talking about people who have come into the reform camp, which once again, 
it's my camp and I've been here first. So, you know, I've been here longer than you. And so I don't want you coming into my camp and messing up stuff. And I don't want to be associated with people who are going to be teachers like this. So the reason why we're talking about this stuff is one, it's having more and more of an impact, even if I believe it's basically solely online. Like I, I think that these guys locally, they're not making any progress or at least not any progress. That's like crazy, but the online. Yeah. And they're getting all these extremists from different areas and they're bringing them in online and they're gaining more and more of a foothold. And honestly, like TGC desiring God, like desiring God has more of an online footprint than other places, but these guys are just not, they're not fighting well against some of these teachers online. You know, they're giving up a lot of room. And so these guys are gaining more and more influence online. So it's important there, but also I feel like I got to defend the home turf a little bit and just be like, uh, I'm not one of those guys. And the vast majority uh, of people who would fit into the reformed theological camp and specifically with me as a reformed Baptist, like, you know, most of us are not going to be fitting into these categories and so I feel like I got to defend a little bit and be like, we ain't them, you know? So that's what this series is about. It's not about how bad I just hate Joel Webin. I don't. I don't know the guy. I don't have anything against him personally. Actually, when I've heard him talk, there are some moments I'm like, I could see in a past alternate life maybe where I would have been friends with this guy. Um uh, but that was back in fundy days. And as you know, Dean ain't no fundy no more. So uh, just letting that be said. <laughs> but I, there are there like every teacher, there's going to be something about them that's redeemable, right? So we're going to be talking about Joel Webin today. And I just want to make it clear right off the bat. I think Joel Webin is a Christian. All right. Let me say that again so that I don't get all these people just sending me all kinds of angry messages because, you know, they live in Ohio, but they've watched a hundred hours of Joel Webin's sermons, and so they just love him to death, and they're thinking about moving to Texas now. Um, I think Joel Webin is a Christian. I think he actually preaches the gospel. And I will say, I actually respect him a lot more than some of these other guys. Not, not, not that it's a ton. Okay, I'll be, I'll be real frank with you. <laughs> It's not a ton, but I will say I respect him a lot more as a, a theological teacher than I would say like Brian um, Savre or definitely Eric Kahn, uh, you know, people like that. I think that Joel Webin knows what he's talking about and actually believes what he says. That being said, you know, it's not great. <laughs> like, just because you're sincere about something doesn't mean that that's a good thing. Uh, so we're going to be taking a look at quite a bit of his own words. All right. And like, this isn't, I heard, and I got a message from people, although I do get messages from people and you feel free to send me messages and bounce ideas off me. That's totally fine. Hit me up on Instagram at Dean Lentini or on Twitter at Dean Lentini. But like, I don't share any of that kind of stuff on, on this. This isn't a gossip, uh, a gossip channel as much as people will say that. We literally just look at public stuff. We look at public videos. We look at 
public sermons, we look at books, we look at articles, and we even sometimes the occasional podcast, and uh, we just evaluate that. So that's what we're going to do today. But first, I got to say hi to my underdogs and uh, just see how everyone is doing. Uh, we have all kinds of people showing up. If you like this channel, I got to say, hop into the chat. Hop into the chat. We got 37 people watching right now. 15 likes. Just going to keep on reminding people. Oh, look, Mrs. Creole is here and says, hit that like button. Uh, I appreciate that. RJ Miller is here and saying that she's hopping into the chat. And, uh, oh, there's a lot of weather talk, a lot of weather talk because it's fall season, pumpkin spice season for some people. And, uh, Heidi is also, she's rebelling, wearing some leggings. <sighs> you know, we're not talking about Brian Savre today, but you know, like let's be Christians out there. Okay. Just saying, you know, if you're going to be wearing those leggings, run it past your priesthood holder. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> head, head of the household. They kind of mean the same things in some circles. All right. Um, and Britt is here and giggling about the, the leggings. Sarah's here. I made it. I keep missing the lives. Oh, well here now. Hi Dean and people in the chat. Hi Sarah. Hope you're doing really well. And, uh, yes, bike shorts. They count as part of the rebellion. Yes, they do. And we're going to make this bigger because we just gotta, we just gotta, not that big. Come on. Oh, wow. That got really, I'm sorry, guys. I just, I get really like, I have to fix it all right now. Uh, let's see who else is here. We got Aaron here. He's working on the van. Look at that man. Oh, what a stud being like, Oh, you guys want to talk about like masculinity and, you know, responsibility as a man. I'll just be here working on my van. Yeah, impressive, impressive, man. You know what? You know what you get? You get a yes chant. Um, let's see. I appreciate that, Sarah. Liking the, the intro. Jeremy is here. It says, welcome, everyone. Hit that like button. I appreciate it. Uh, Miss Creole says, welcome, Jeremy. Ahead, already ahead of you. Oh, she beat you. She beat you, man. Um, let's see. David is here and says, is it just me? Or does it smell like, uh, what? I don't even know what that means. Maybe you should have put that on the camera. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, Bobby, hi. Coming on for like 10 minutes before I clock in for work. I appreciate you being here, man. And you can always catch the replay. Always catch the replay. You don't have to be here live, but if you are here live, you should be in the chat because it's just more fun. And you can talk about these things. And I like hearing your guys' thoughts. Even... You know, if I don't necessarily show it on screen, because once I get talking about actual stuff, you know, I, I get very like focused on it. Uh, but I always read the chat after. So and I appreciate you guys, you know, putting your thoughts out there. Uh, I, I think we have a real community that cares about each other and also, you know, thinks critically and even thinks critically of me, which, you know what? That's OK. You could do that. We could have disagreements and still get along. It's nuts, but it's true. Uh, De uh, Dean, have you gone back to the original Joel Webin content? He has changed so much over the past three years. His original content was solid, but has taken a crazy turn. All right. Uh, we will stop there for a little bit. We'll come back to the chat here. But that's a good segue. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Um, yes. Yeah, so talking about Joel Webin, what I kind of want to do with these guys is give as much a history 
of them as I can. And again, you know, I'm just, I'm just a random dude in my basement. So it's not like I'm like some like detective that's going around and snooping around talking to people and getting all the info and being like, oh, I know exactly, you know, where he was at 1245 a.m. Uh, on on Wednesday the 17th of 2014 you know like I don't do that kind of stuff I don't like I just look online I know how to use Google so I'm googling and just seeing like where do people come from and I will say Joel Webin is one that I looked up far far before all these other guys I didn't know who Brian Savre was or uh you know especially Eric Kahn like I didn't know who these guys were uh but Joel Webin I had known a little bit more because of a clip that went viral <laughs> and we'll we'll take a look at that clip and you'll understand why it went viral uh, but i remember looking him up and looking up his channel because he has a similar channel to mine ish uh you know somewhat reformed talking about christian stuff sometimes talking about different teachers that are out there all that kind of stuff. So YouTube recommended it to me, of course. And so I looked up his channel. I always go to oldest video and see what their quality was like before. Cause that's, just, I'm, I'm a tech nerd. So I'm always wondering like what people are doing. And I will say, you know, Jeremy's talking about his original content. He has changed a bunch over the last three years. Oh boy, has he, uh, there has been a huge change in Joel Webin. I wish I could show you because I remember when I first looked him up, I was shocked. All right, this is the guy who, uh, you know, has the big leather chair. You saw it in the thumbnail looking like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, Lex Luthor or like some like <laughs> Legion of Doom villain, you know, with the big chair, James Bond villain. You know, he just needs a cat to be like petting as he's like talking into the camera, um, <laughs> which, you know, whatever. Everyone has their aesthetic of what they like and enjoy. And I'm sure people would be like picking apart my background too. So that's not, that's not the main point, but, uh, that he has a certain look, he has a certain vibe for what he's going for. And that was totally different, totally different. And not, not like a decade ago, I'm talking like five years ago and I wish I could show you, but I can't find it. Uh, he scrubbed some stuff. <laughs> like if you had looked at his channel just a year ago and go to the oldest videos, he was, he was looking like Darren Patrick. He was sounding exactly. I, I watched a lot of Darren Patrick uh, sermons and listened to it a lot. Uh, so I know exactly how Darren Patrick sounds, uh, what he's about, his whole vibe. And it was a straight ripoff of that. OK, and it's true. We all get impacted by what we listen to. So it might just be as simple as that. It's just like listening to someone a lot. And all of a sudden you sound pretty similar to them. That That might be the case. But he looked like him. I mean, like in one sermon, he was wearing flip-flops. So like that kind of shows you where he was at. And that was just like, I'm talking about like 20, 2018, 2019. And then all of a sudden a shift, right? Like the, the a huge shift in appearance, but also in tone, also in how he speaks. And you could go back and you can find other interviews. Look at uh, his interview with Ruslan look at, um, you know, uh, his stuff now, look at how he talks when he has some buddies over. Like I've noticed a change when he's talking to AD Robles, uh, versus, you know, talking to, I don't know, some, someone else, some, some professor of some kind, he does a lot of interviews on his, uh, on his channel. Uh, but if you do that, you'll see a huge change. And to me, that's concerning. Uh, already getting a dislike. Cause I said, he's uh, changed his appearance and tone.
All right. Fair, I guess. Uh, but that that's true. That, that, that to me is an indicator that there's just a lot of stuff going on with this guy. And he is uh, changing to fit into certain areas, certain groups. Now, um, that that's that's all stuff that just kind of gives like red flags. But it's not anything that's like, oh, you should avoid him because he sounds different because he dresses way different. Um, that's not something. But it does help you kind of get a feel for where this guy is coming from as far as what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to fit into something. And we'll we'll talk about that. Let's let's look though at how a lot of us came to know Joel Webbin. And that is through uh, this clip that went all over the place. Let me know in the chat if you uh, if you remember this. Uh, Moscow, Idaho, and they talk about you know how simultaneously this is going on, you know, with like Russell Moore, and then and then over here, you know, in Nashville, there's a Fight Laugh Feast conference, you know, and this is going down, and Doug Wilson's there, and these guys, and 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 they just say what the Bible says, and they don't apologize, and they're not embarrassed. They're not, I've, I have spent to my shame, to my shame. I thought I was cool. I was not cool. It's embarrassing. I, it is embarrassing that I, for years, was embarrassed by the Bible. Not all of it, but there were certain parts that, yeah, I'd be embarrassed about, like slavery or something like that, you know, like, yeah. and whereas now, you know, I had somebody recently on my show, you know, and, and they brought up slavery, you know, and, and, and they're a Christian and, but, but you could tell it was a little bit like kind of embarrassed you know and and they were saying you know but like you know kidnapping and so the african slave trade america you know like uh man stealers that that was a crime you know biblically and punishable and and atrocious in the sight of god and and so america has bad roots and, and i and i paused for a second well just for the record real quick um the founders weren't going to africa and stealing people they were buying them they were buying them so who stole them Africans. <laughs> whoa, whoa, you can't, you can't go there, man. You, you don't have, <laughs> you know, have a so, melon to talk about such things. Right. Yeah. Well, well, that's the beauty. That's the beauty is I'm not, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be that's ashamed, exactly but rightly right, dividing right. the word of truth, black or white doesn't matter. And that's, and you, but you're right. Like, I know you're joking, but, but I, you know, it's just like, I was like, man, I, I'm embarrassed about the Bible or, or I'm a white dude. I can't talk about it. And there's just such freedom. And I'll be honest. So free, like, it's so much freedom. A, yeah. So much of it came by seeing another guy, yeah. right? Because that's the thing is like that you get, you're scared and you stay in your little corner. You stay on your little leash because you're like, I, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what, but when you see some other guy do it and you're like, oh, yeah. that's the worst, it, that's it, the worst so, thing that could happen. Absolutely. Vice writes an article about you. Russell Moore won't invite you to your birth, his birthday party anymore. Like that's, that's it. So yeah, that's how a lot of us were introduced, uh, even Brit is saying like, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us, this is probably how, um, you were introduced to Joel Webin was for me on Twitter, uh, seeing this, uh, along with, there was a weaker brother discussion he had about, uh, Romans 14 and, um, it was, it was really bad. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Uh, but he was basically saying that you shouldn't have a pastor who can't who thinks that he shouldn't drink alcohol because you shouldn't have a weaker brother in the pulpit. So it was like a really, uh, I, I think awful take on what it means to be the weaker brother and the stronger brother and actually goes against like the whole 
concept of that passage. Uh, but I remember that and I did a video about that without like showing video of him, which I regret now because like I would have had the video <laughs> to show you. Um, but you can go on my channel and you can find me discussing that. Uh, but it was that and then this. And uh, this is awful. This is really, really bad because he's basically in this weird video that's like praising Doug Wilson and like defending him. And um, you know, I've talked about Doug Wilson so much, but he's a heretic. I'll say it a thousand times. He is. He hasn't changed his views on federal vision. He, he's still that same guy. He's still saying the same stuff. So I'm going to keep on saying the same thing about him. And he is that guy. Uh, but they went on this video and basically were just like defending him and praising him and thanking him for all that he's done in their lives. And so that's who he's talking about. He's talking about looking at people like Doug Wilson and being emboldened to give his radical views. And this view that he is espousing is radical. <laughs> like he's talking about this person that was on his show. And how they were talking about there's a difference between, you know, uh, just stealing someone, which the Bible is against. It's very clearly against man stealing. You can look uh, in uh, the, the Pentateuch. You can find that very clearly like that. This this is wrong. That kind of slavery is wrong. Now, there's a difference between stealing people and forcing them to be your slave and uh, like this in indentured servitude kind of thing where it was more nuanced, like what was happening in that culture and how certain people were able to survive in economical climates. And there's a lot that goes into that. And whether that's the best way or not, like there are people who will defend that as like, there's nothing wrong with it. There, there might be still some things that are wrong with it. Uh, but the Bible is very much against what you would normally think of as slavery. And here he's saying like, that is just wrong. Like that, uh, you don't have to go down that route to defend the Bible. Actually, when you do that, you are, you know, kind of like anxious about what people are thinking about the Bible, or he uses the word embarrassed of the Bible. Properly explaining the word of God is not being embarrassed about that. That's just, you know, explaining what the, the ideas actually are. And there are many people who would look at the Bible, and because you do see slavery in the Old Testament, and uh, a little bit, not as much in the New Testament, although it is explained a little bit more about the Christian idea of how to live in that state. Uh, but specifically in the Old Testament, we see a lot of people owning slaves. And so some people out there in the world would look at that and be like, well, this is an obvious contradiction because that's so immoral. Why can we look at those people and say that they're not ungodly, right? Like uh, that we would look at like, uh, you know, all these different people in the Old Testament and say like that they're just the worst because they own slaves. And that would be something that they would count as uh, a reason for not believing the Bible or not believing Christianity. There are plenty of people like that. And so having a nuanced view of what words actually mean and explaining that the Bible actually is against that kind of slavery is good. But for him, he's looking at Doug Wilson because Doug Wilson doesn't care. And because Doug Wilson has actually said a lot of things that are supportive of what you would imagine as slavery, he is supportive of that. He's, he's saying, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like he's, he said that many times. So you can go and find those clips. They're all over the place. And so Joel Webin looked at that and went like, almost like, <laughs> almost like the Hobbit, 
you know, like where uh, Balin is uh, talking about uh, Thorin and like, there is one I can follow. There is one I could call king. It's basically that moment (laughs) of being like, oh, well, this guy, he's not ashamed of the Bible. He's not cowering to like this political correctness, even though like this is moral correctness. But, you know, whatever, he views it as political correctness. And so if Doug Wilson isn't going to bend, oh, there's someone I can follow. There's someone who is worthy of my attention. And he's saying that as though it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. Slavery is wrong. Slavery is immoral. And it is not the ideal that God created humans to exist in. Uh, So the Bible is against that kind of slavery. It's very clearly against it. That's called man-stealing. And the Bible says that that is wrong. So that's how a lot of us got introduced. An extreme view. An extreme view held by an extreme man who is following and praising and calling him a mentor and actually has, you know, spent a lot of time with Doug Wilson. Like, that's who he's about. That's what he is about. This extreme ideology. It's it's not just like, oh, this one clip. This is the entirety of his ministry. Now, again, want to make it clear, this guy does preach the gospel, and when he does that gospel sounds true to me. Like he, he, I don't think that he's someone who is like putting unnecessary burdens of legalism on people at that moment of salvation. Like when he preaches the gospel and gets to the actual gospel, it sounds like the gospel to me. So I want that clearly said. I think that this guy is a Christian. I do think that he actually believes what he's saying. I don't think he's a con man. That being said, just because you're not being deceitful doesn't mean that you're not dangerous. And here, like, if this is your view, if you're just like this extreme guy, like you're just chasing after him and you, you're emboldened because of him, and he's saying, like, all of us young guys are like that, that's dangerous. Also, because eventually, somewhere along the line, you build a big enough following, you're going to see yourself as that person. And honestly, that's what I think is happening right now. Lately, he's been talking about, um, uh, what, like, this uh, Joel derangement syndrome. Like there was someone who talked about uh, some other teacher and having like, or maybe it was Doug Wilson, a Doug Wilson derangement syndrome. And now he's using that as like an excuse for people who are against him and what he's teaching and saying, oh, well, they just have a Joel derangement syndrome. Like, do you realize the narcissism that's at play there? Like, I'm not going to dive deep into his mental state. But to be like, oh, these people are against me because they have a derangement syndrome. And you talk about yourself in the third person. Like, uh, I'm not a psychologist, but that's that's kind of weird. <laughs> and uh, like, I do think that he's starting to see himself as like that guy who's emboldening others uh, and that these other guys can now say their opinions out loud because Joel Webin is kind of leading in that way. So I think that that is something that we really need to consider as we figure out who this guy is. Now, what's his background? Uh, it's a little weird, just like a lot of these guys, right? It's hard to tell where some of these guys come from. And again, all the stuff from the past usually scrubbed by the time they make it on the the big stages that they've built for themselves. Um, but let's take a look at how he describes his background. After high school, I went to Christ for the Nations, which is in Dallas, Texas. I went there for two years, which I, I would 
argue is uh, not just like Pentecostal vineyard, but but straight up heretical. Um, oh. So not not even within the banner of orthodoxy. I mean, for instance, like they had uh, Costi, who you know is a friend at this point, but Costi uh, Hen, his dad, which would be Benny Hen's brother, Henry Hen, uh, came and spoke at the school. I think we had Joyce Meyer before. We've had Cindy Jacobs, if anybody knows uh, who that is. Dutch uh, Sheets would be um, another heretic, um, and so. Um, the, the school, I mean, I had a professor who said that if we had enough faith, we could live forever, ever, right? Because, you know, you won't get sick and you'll never die. Um, so um, a very bad theological experience there, but incredible uh, relational experience. I made some of my closest friends. And then uh, we transferred from Christ for the Nations after two years. It's kind of like a two-year non-accredited school, kind of like, um, um, you know, the uh, the um, uh school for witchcraft and wizardry, you know, um, Bethel, you know, like uh, one, <laughs> yeah. one of those kind of, you know, so it was kind of like that, you know, kind of like a, a Bethel kind of flavor. Okay. So essentially what he's saying is that he grew up in the Pentecostal movement, which is also very similar to, uh, Brian Savre and, uh, uh, some of the other guys that they, they came, came up in charismatic, uh, in a charismatic background. Sorry, I'm looking at different things. But uh, in a charismatic background and, um, you know, they, they went to places like um, Brian Savre went to like uh, the Calvary Chapels Bible College. He went to a two year program uh, within like the Vineyard Movement, which is very similar uh, to Calvary Chapel. And so th- th- these are the places where these guys are from like and. Uh, you know, as a, as a former fundamentalist, I will tell you, you cannot shake certain things about your background. It's not your fault that you came from those backgrounds. You can't help what family you were born in. That's the sovereignty of God. He put you there. But there are things that you are just going to wrestle with as you move away from that. And you are going to have certain biases. So um, just let that be said. And that's that's what he's talking about. So he went to their uh, to your, um, uh, Bible college, uh, thing Institute, uh, that he's saying is basically like very similar to Bethel. And then he, uh, transfers, he's going to get into it, uh, of Dallas Baptist. Um, and I think that means that he has an undergrad degree. Um, but I can't find anything about his education anywhere. Um, so I don't think that he's super happy about the level of education that he got from those places, because otherwise you would have that listed on stuff. Um, so uh, I don't think he went to seminary. I don't think that he went to any conservative, like really conservative Baptist, you know, background. Uh, I don't know what this university is. I, I don't think that's the one that's uh, tethered to Southwestern, is it? I'm, I maybe should have looked that up, so I apologize about that. But uh, he is going to be transferring to a Baptist institution, and he says he gets a degree from there. So um, I think that's an undergrad. Uh, uh, Bill, um, Bill Johnson, Bethel. And uh, and then we, you know, after that, we transferred to Dallas Baptist University. And so I finished my degree there, and uh, and that was theologically much better experience. And um, after that, my friends from Christ for the Nations, who remain friends throughout um, DBU, Dallas Baptist, um, we moved together. There was five of us, and we moved together to San Diego, California uh, to plant a church. And so that was in uh, the fall of 2009. 
And for a couple of years, we basically just had a glorified Bible study in, in our apartment. Um, our apartment was located in the heart of Ocean Beach, San Diego, right above um, a bar there that's called the Arizona Cafe. And so we lived there for a couple of years and we had people in our home on Sunday nights. We did this Bible study. We we're evangelizing throughout the week and, uh, and, and the Lord blessed it and he blessed it in his mercy. Um, I, the, the reality is looking back, um, I had no business planting a church at the time. Now that, that said, my motivation for planting a church is a lot of what, what guys are feeling today that, you know, I had this, this disenchantment with the church and, and some of that was rebellious and arrogance, but some of it, I think really was, you know, I was on to something. I knew. So right there, you see it like he planted a church with his buddies. Uh, what he doesn't get into there, he does get into it later on is that he no no sending church no nothing it doesn't mean that you have to have a sending church that's not what i'm saying but he is untethered uh from pretty much anything and he's going with college buddies at a very young age to go and plant this church um in in san diego and they do it and the one thing i will say about that like because i i'm not the guy uh, that says you have to have a sending church. I don't think you have to be even ordained to plant a church because then like, what do you do with, you know, people around the world who don't have another church nearby that, um, you know, can be a sending church or something like that. And you have Christians in that neighborhood, are they just not supposed to start a church? Like there's, there's a lot of stuff when you get really like particular about those things. Uh, you got to leave room, uh, for, you know, extreme situations and stuff like that. So you can't really be super hard nosed about those things. Cause if you are, you're just like kind of writing off a lot of different areas and different people who would be in those kind of scenarios anyways. Uh, so that's not my point in bringing this part up. It is to say that he was very young and he admits he was unqualified. Um, now we don't know exactly what that means, what he was dealing with. He was single he does start talking about like lust and things like that. That that's not stuff I really want to speculate on. Uh, but I will just say, like he was young, the church planters that he was with were young and they were untethered, and uh, I think that probably leads to some of the issues that they would have there. Um, and he does get into you know some of the things that happened there. When we closed our doors, I was in California at the time, so there was. An so he here he's getting into um like really like the crux of everything like he they went through like a lot of the same hardships that you've seen in like the the other guys with Brian Savre and Eric Kahn over at Refuge in Ogden Utah how they went from you know Calvary Chapel to Acts 29 to uh Reformed Baptist and now to uh Presbyterian of some sort in the vein of Doug Wilson, which I don't really view as actual uh, Presbyterianism, but you know, that's what they're claiming. Uh, that's similar to uh, Joel Webin and his church plant, his young church plant there in San Diego. They started off with Vineyard and then they moved to Acts 29 and from Acts 29 to kind of Reformed Baptist, he gets into like there was a split, um, but you know, again, young, young church plant. Like there's, there's probably going to be a split, you know? Um, but he talks also about like there was a pandemic that happened. And of course that's going to impact things, but here he gets into the story of how that all happened. And I think this is like a crucial moment for Joel Webin as far as where he's going to go 
with things and where he's going to focus and, uh, you know, some of the things that really has gained him the following that he does have. Added pressure and being a part of, you know, the Soviet state of California. And so, but I, you know, <laughs> I put out, a, I remember so, so etched in my mind, I put out, cause I was like, I got to say something, you know, I got to announce that church is closed this Sunday and I got to say why. And so I put out a 10 minute video and where I exegeted horrifically Romans 13 and said, this is why. And I talked about how, um, you know, people in America. And by horrifically exegeted, he means like the vast majority of Christians who also gave that exact same reasoning because Romans 13 is actually pretty clear, but you know, whatever. Okay. And, uh, and even Christians, uh, we have a propensity towards being rebellious. And so we want to be rebellious against the state, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was just, I look back now and I'm ashamed of what I said. Yep. And when we, when I realized it took me about two weeks to realize that was wrong, it took me another two or three weeks to convince a majority of my elders. I was never able to convince one of them, but a majority of the elders to outvote the, the, the tyrant. And then, you know, and then we started having church again. And that like to outvote the tyrant, like he says it so like quickly, it doesn't come back to that. I don't know if he's calling that one guy who disagreed with him a tyrant or if he's referring to Governor Newsom, which they also, you know, all described as a tyrant. I don't know. Uh, It sounds to me like he's calling that one guy who disagreed a tyrant. Now, this would also lead to a church split. Um, So uh, I think the guy who was the tyrant, if that's what he's meaning, is still there at that church, which was Response Church. So, right, Response Ministries response church. The first sermon that I preached, no, it was the second sermon, actually. The second sermon that I preached to the church included a public apology and and an explanation of why my previous exegesis of Romans 13 was unbiblical, and then providing a new exegesis of Romans 13, and what it actually means with an apology for, for leading the church astray, for teaching falsely, teaching something that was wrong, and then and then allowing the fruit of that teaching in my own life to bar them from Christ and to cancel yeah. the church, you know? And and my and my point is that like, I'm just like, you say like these guys aren't going to get away with it, but I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just like, I, I don't know yeah. if people are dumb, you know, like, or, or if people just want, you know, because I'm like, when, you know, Oh man, I got to be careful. I've got, I've got a lot. I got to be careful here because no, no, yeah, yeah. You, 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 <laughs> you can, can just... see the the emotions still there, um, and that makes sense, right? Like if you went through that, even if you were on a different position, you would still have a lot of feelings about that. Um, but yeah, this 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 is a big moment for him because he goes from okay, one week. Here's what Romans 13 says about submitting to the governing authorities. And then just a couple weeks later, he's like, here's the completely opposite take on this. Um, I, I've said stuff during a sermon that later I was like, mm, probably not great. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon and then been like, I completely disagree with everything I've said in it, you know, or like the main point of it, that that's an odd thing. And especially to do it, so quickly 
Um, I wonder who he talked to. I wonder, you know, if there was a conversation with Doug Wilson. Uh, I wonder if there was, you know, conversations with some of these other guys who would fit into the same theological camp that we all know he is headed toward at that time. Um, but that is, that is very weird to, to be like, all right, we're changing everything. And I've totally changed my view on this passage. That sounds like he's been convinced from other people that it's okay. It's okay to, to go this route. And then that leads to all kinds of conflict. Uh, and I think this is part of, you know, a pastor, when they get up into that pulpit, there's a lot of responsibility that they take and you need to be very careful and very convinced of what you're going to say in that pulpit. Uh, because you're not just, you know, giving your, your thoughts, you are exercising spiritual authority over Christians and you need to be very careful about how you do that. And, uh, now he, he's did the first one, I guess, in a video because they weren't meeting quite yet. Uh, but this, this to me is like, okay. Uh, he, he seems to be a guy like, again, I don't know him. And just watching videos, I'm just, uh, you know, reading between some of these videos, making conclusions. Um, he seems to be a guy that will be convinced by older men uh, that, you know, this is the right way to go. And that, like, I do think that he is earnest in how he's trying to do the right thing, uh, especially during that time. But it sounds to me like there was some convincing from a third party. And uh, some influence being being shared there. And so he went back and said, no, we're not doing it that way. That led to a church split. Um, you know, both his, you know, trying to be a Reformed Baptist church. And apparently, you know, some of the elders that he has, he says there are five elders, which I'm assuming includes himself. And apparently there was such division amongst the five that they didn't actually become Reformed Baptists. They didn't adopt the 1689 as their like actual doctrinal statement, uh, which I, I think is a pretty big deal when someone tries to do that and it fails, that's going to have an effect. And then also like their stance on the, the pandemic. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot for a young church, a young church planter to go through and uh, try to weather that storm. And so eventually... They move. He, he um, you know, it seems like there was hard feelings, but not that hard because he talks about them in a positive light. So they still like him. And I've actually gotten a few comments from people who are at that church saying like he was he was a great pastor to them, they say. So, again, that's not stuff I can actually qualify and say this is the truth. But, uh, you know, there there seems to be at least some love for him, even though there was a church split there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Let's keep on going. Cause this, all right, <laughs> this is where there we start to books get into, that I, I've just had to say uh, some, some of the other stuff. All right. That's his background. That's, that's where he's from. That's he moved to Texas. He starts this other church. Uh, a year ago, he said that they were at about 80 people. I'm assuming that that grew, uh, because his popularity has grown and he talks about people moving to their church. So I'm assuming that that's grown, but we're still talking about at least physically very small numbers, you know, as far as being like leaders in a movement, like this is, this is kind of bizarre. And I think it's a very different take on how influence, um, affects culture and specifically these influencers affect Christian culture online because they're like, I mean, even if their church grew, I don't think it would be exponential. So you're still talking like 
maybe 150 people at this church in Ogden, Utah is a very small church too. And like still they're having more influence and having more Twitter followers than some mega church pastors. And like, what is up with that? Well, it's because of some of the views. It's because of some of the views that these guys have chiefly among them would be their patriarchy views. And so I thought about showing you a bunch of different clips, but basically take everything that you saw from Brian Savre and Eric Kahn and apply it to him. He is having them on, you know, the, uh, his stage. Uh, he's had them on his YouTube channel tons of times. So I'm not just going to go through and show you everything he's ever said, but we are going to look at some of the more extreme things that Joel Webin has said uh, on patriarchy, on Christian nationalism, on things like that. Hey, um, I don't know if this is a bad book, but I don't have time to read it. And so you're not going to read it either. We'll read it together. Talking about his wife. I remember recently my wife had a book and I saw her reading it on the couch. And it was about pedo-baptism. And I said, no, we're not doing that yet. We will become pedo-baptists when I'm ready. But my wife's not going to be a pedo-baptist for three years before I am. And I don't have time to read it right now. I know the arguments will be great. I will agree and disagree. I'm not sure which arguments are better, but for the, the time being, this is what I'm persuaded of, and you're not going to outpace me. And that's not... All right, let me, let me stop there and just give a little bit of background. Uh, first, I want to say hi to David. I see David is here, and... Uh, uh, he says his doctrine is alarmingly malleable. He is seeking popularity and the acceptance of people like Doug Wilson. I totally agree, David. David, why did I just send my mother to Atlanta? David, David, talk to me. I just, I just really want, I, I put that in last minute before the show because I was thinking of you, David. <laughs> and I was like, I saw you hop into the chat. I was like, finally, I could, I could use that sound effect. Um, that's why the show was a little bit late, by the way, because I'm doing stuff like that. I'm having fun, okay? Um, but what he is doing here, what Joel Webin is doing here, is uh, he's making a joke. All right, uh, it's pretty clear. Joel Webin is riding a wild horse. All right, uh, he is trying to be extreme and gain followers and gain people into his church. And he has extreme views that would allow for that. But also, when you're following after a leader so closely, like Doug Wilson, you're inevitably going to have people who want you to be exactly like Doug Wilson. And to this point, uh, Joel Webin isn't like Dale Partridge. He isn't like Brian Savre. He, he isn't like Aaron Kahn. He actually is a Baptist, or at least he says he is. I think it's I, I think it's impossible for you to be a Baptist and a Christian nationalist because it goes against Baptist ideals. But at the same time, he is a credo Baptist, which means you got to believe in order to be baptized, you're not going to baptize your babies. I am sure that there are people, because I know, I know from just even the little following that I have here on this channel, there are people who like what I'm about and want me to be more extreme than I actually am. And so they'll send me things of, but go at this person, go at that person. And I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm not going to do it. You probably don't even know that reference, <laughs> but, um, uh, Sahara, it's a great movie. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I'm not going to be that person. I am myself. And I do think that Joel Webin probably deals with that quite a bit. He's riding a wild horse 
because this wild horse wants him to be more extreme, wants him to be more like Doug Wilson, and that is a very tempting draw. But at the same time, so far, uh, he hasn't been kicked off the horse, you know, even though he is still a credo Baptist. And so I think what he's saying there are jokes, like, uh, you know, uh, at least the the idea of becoming a pedo Baptist is what I mean. Now, the stuff about his wife, <laughs> well, he's wrong. Your wife can read whatever theological book she wants to because she's a person. She's a person who has thoughts. She is not uh, chained to your mind and your perspective on things. Now, certainly you want to have agreement. So maybe you should be, you know, reading that book too, once she's done or having conversations with her about it or giving her maybe other books that would help her to come to a different conclusion that goes for the man that goes for the woman. You know, if you're, if your husband is starting to, like I I've had quite a few people reach out to me and say, my husband is starting to give in to people like this and starting to have views like that. Well, you can send them my way. You can send them to other people online, uh, different books, um, historical documents. <laughs> that would be like, this is what it means to be a Baptist. This is what it means to be a Christian. You know, there, there are tons of resources, right, that you can send someone to help them, you know, have those different perspectives in order to make an actual decision. And here, when he's saying, like, you're not going to outpace me, I think that's so important because he does have a lot of tweets out there. I, I have a few that are saved, but I'm already seeing like, we're going to run out of time real quick. Um, but you can go online, you can see all his tweets about how uh, women are actually are, you know, less intelligent than men, uh, that they are more easily tricked. Like he, he says that he says that in tweets. This isn't me putting words into his mouth. Like those are the things that he tweeted. Uh, so there's stuff like that, that he actually does think that his wife can't make the, like she can be more easily deceived by a book than he can. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not, but it's not because of, uh, you know, him being a man and her being a woman or her being the wife and him being the husband. Like it has nothing to do with that. You're just people, but, uh, that that's what he views it. Now I will say we got 63 people who are watching live here and 32 likes. If you like my channel, if you enjoyed this kind of content, please Hit that like button. It really does help for getting this message out to more people, which is really why I do this. Otherwise, I'd be talking about way more fun stuff than this. But here we are. For the record, that's not lazy. It can be. And you have to be honest with yourself and discerning of your motives. But that's not inherently lazy. This is one of the problems that I remember experiencing early in ministry as a young man with lots of other young men filled with zeal, zeal for doctrine, zeal for theology, is that they would go around, they'd be reading something, learning something, listening to something, and they would go around the church. And they'd be talking to every household and every individual in the church about this thing that they've been convicted of for 15 minutes. And they would, they would try to be charitable, and they actually thought this was charitable. And they'd say, well, you, know, you don't have to agree with me. In my position, I do think it's right, but you don't have to agree with me in the position that I've taken. But you have to have a position. Now, what that's called is tyranny. That's tyranny. Do you know why? You might say, well, they're not dictating the position. This is why it's tyranny. Because what you are doing is you're dictating that person's study habits. 
You're dictating the, the very hours in their day. I do that with four people. I don't do that with you and I'm your pastor. It would be tyranny. I do not have that authority. Pastors have a very limited scope of authority outlined specifically in the scripture. I have four people in my life that I dictate the hours in their day. I dictate what time they go to the bathroom. When we eat, what we eat, what we wear. They are my children. Those are the people that I have almost limitless authority with. As just a rule of thumb, a general principle, if you're trying to understand authority, first start with spheres. There are three primary spheres that are Someone all have forms of government. Not that you don't have to drink, but someone should have a drinking game for how much these guys talk about spheres. <laughs> it's just spheres, spheres, spheres. Tears for spheres. Ooh, that could be a shirt. There is civil government, ecclesiastical, that's the state, ecclesiastical government, that's the church, and familial government. And it is a government. That's the home, the family, households. In these three spheres, they are not a hierarchy. It is not the state, then the church, then the household. No, they are three spheres that exist autonomously, side by side. The home is not a government. <laughs> like, that's such a weird view to have of like viewing how how you have your loved ones and like the people you care about most and you're thinking about it as like this is the government <laughs> like i am the government is essentially what that means so this clip is another one that went all over the place because you know he's telling everyone that he gets to dictate he says four people and uh so you know later he talks about his children i hope that it's just his children uh, but not including his wife of what she can eat and what she can wear. And obviously he's talking about the books that she's allowed to read. This is odd. Uh, this is, this is someone who's scared of, of where someone who has independence, like what they could get into, uh, of where they could go with their thoughts. And maybe they're not going to be exactly like you. And again, that, that to me is uh, like, I don't, I'm not going to read into like what's happening in his home, but to me, I think it's very clear about what's happening in his church and ministry of just riding that wild horse and the people that would follow and be such extremists. Again, I say it all the time, right? Followers go further. Like you guys would probably go further with things than I would, right? On, on certain topics. Uh, and followers go further. So the followers of Doug Wilson, they're going to go further. That's why you see all the, the craziness online. If you talk about Doug Wilson, you're going to get people saying the most vile stuff to you. It's what the penalty box is about. You know, like they always go further. And I think with Joel Webin at his church and in his ministry, he probably has a lot of followers that are going further. And the problem with him and with Doug Wilson, people like that, is that they're so extreme that, yeah, your followers are going to go further. And he's probably trying to rein them in. And uh, like, I think that mentality of always having to feel like you're riding a wild horse is probably Im impacting him of where he doesn't feel like he has control. And so he's being like, well, everyone has to stick with me because you don't know where you could go because those other people that, you know, we care about and we're involved with in their ministry or their followers online or whatever, you see their stuff and they're going further. And you don't want these people that you love to go further.
And so I think there's, there's something there. There's something there. Uh, but, you know, obviously wrong with his views on how much authority a husband has over his wife and even with his kids. I don't dictate when my kids can go to the bathroom. Like, that's so weird. Like, my kids don't have to ask me for permission. Now, he, he went into uh, an apology. Uh, well, not really an apology, an explanation. Uh, we don't really have time to, to watch it. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll watch just a couple minutes of it. You can kind of get a feel for where he's going. Guys, many of you, and the, uh, the, the end is kind like of important. So we'll watch that part too. Just frustrated or annoyed by the Christian Twitter world and, uh, the back and forth, the fighting. Um, I try not to instigate, um, but often Maybe a clip of one of my videos is shared or uh, an excerpt from uh, a book that I wrote is uh, is misused or something like that to try to uh, tarnish my public reputation. That said, um, I'm not sinless. I do make mistakes. Uh, the things that have been recently shared by Nathaniel Jolly and uh, Andy Woodard, um, I am fine with. Uh, I stand by it, you know, um, my point in the clip that Andy shared was uh, very simple. I was just talking about three spheres of authority that the, the civil sphere has. So uh, he's he's saying like you know these guys found it. They like this Andy Woodard guy who doesn't seem to be all that different from these guys. Or like I don't know who he is other than he's one one of the guys who shared this. And uh, I watched like four minutes of him talking about joel webbin in a sermon which seemed really petty and weird to be honest um it's a weird place to be talking about someone like that behind a pulpit you know you got a podcast have a podcast but in the pulpit i feel like that's just kind of cringy um but anyways uh he's talking about these guys as if like they went and they found it like they oh they went through hours of my sermons and they found this clip joel webbin shared it as an instagram reel all right, that that's where that video came from. So he wanted it to get out there, and then he's like, "Oh, you know, like I'm being persecuted, <laughs> you know, like oh they found this thing and they're trying to use it against me." But here's here's where things get a little interesting in this um, authority over even when the kids use the bathroom, and of course, what I'm saying in that is at bedtime, you know, you might say something like this: "Hey guys, before we put on our jammies, it's almost time for bed." Let's go potty. We don't want to wet the bed. So everybody needs to sit on the potty and let's try to go potty before we put on our jammies. You know, I've thought about this. I, I would love to know. Um, I would love to just meet these abusive parents uh, that are causing an epidemic of bedwetting with toddlers all around the nation because they don't tell their kids to go potty before bedtime. <laughs> but apparently uh, it's crazy for a dad to say to his toddler children, uh, you need to go potty before bed. So these, it is not the fault of the internet that we don't know the age of your kids. Um, and also that's not the way that you put it. Um, not the way that you put it. You made it very clear that you are very authoritative. Uh, let's keep on going. what you're witnessing. It's, it's a turf war. So if you've just, you've been in the reformed Christian Twitter world and you're just, 
frustrated because maybe you respect someone like Nathaniel Jolly, you respect Andy Woodward, which I'm, I'm sure these guys are faithful preachers. I'm not familiar with their work. I don't watch their sermons uh, because I'm not, you know, looking for clips from a sermon from, you know, multiple months ago. Or Instagram uh, reels that you put to try out. To smear their reputation. So I, I'm not familiar with their work. They're very familiar with mine. Uh, they apparently spend a lot of time um, trying to, uh, to catch me, you know, gotcha, gotcha this time. Um, so they're very... So he's talking about they, they all want to take John MacArthur's spot. They want to take John Piper's spot, and that's what this is about. Or it's just like he put out a crazy statement of a uh, a reel, and people reacted to it, and the reactions weren't good. <laughs> like that's that's kind of what that was. We got a lot. We got a lot that we need to get through. So we're gonna we're gonna speed this up a little bit. I mean, the deal between men and women throughout pretty much you know. Listen to 6, this. This is his view of women. Human history is basically this. Uh, here's the deal. Men say, we'll build the world. That's that's their end of the bargain. And women say, we'll, we'll let you see us naked. That's how he views things. Like he put it as like in the simplest terms of how men and women exist in this world. Men will make the world and women just, you know, it's all just about little ears little ears need to go away or put in headphones or pause it and put in headphones, but it's just about sex. It's just about sex for women. And for men, it's about building the world and doing things and, you know, slaying the dragons and uh, the women are just the princesses who you just win as a reward for all the hard work you've done. Um, now he goes into this in a lot more detail. This is a clip that you can watch of him and Doug Wilson talking about, uh, you know, what's what's wrong with uh, evangelicalism or something like that. He's always talking about that stuff, but he gets into like men and women. He gets into far more detail than I care to really go into. Uh, but that's basically bottom line. How he views the world is that men make the world and the deal that we have. And he later goes on. Oh, it's a good deal. <laughs> I'll take that deal every day. You know, like the, like those kind of weird like locker room jokes, whatever. Um, but that's how he views women. They're sex objects. Like when you, when you put it into those terms, this isn't me putting words in his mouth. When you put it into those terms of this is how the world works. This is the deal that we've made. And he says, it's a good deal. And we went away from that deal. And it's looked at as getting away from that deal is a bad thing. This is how you view women is to say, well, they can't do stuff. We make the world men make the world. And women, they're just there to, you know, warm the bed when you get home. This is the guy. This is the guy you want leading leading a movement. I don't know. Did was it, it said there's a distinction in role. So male and female roles he assigned them um, instead of male and female natures he designed them. Um, yeah. And and they would now to be fair because I don't want a uh, straw man. To be fair, they would say no, 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 no. The the difference of roles stems from a difference of design but they would exclusively root the distinctions at the level of design um, in the physical realm. So men can bench more and women have hips and, right. and can have babies. Praise God. Right. And so, you know, and, oh, and but God. that would be about it. Whereas I would say, well, traditionally, like when you read somebody, you know, who, who's a theologian before the 1960s, like the, the other 1960 years of church history, um, they don't just say that there's a physical difference between men and women, but that the difference goes all the way down. Right. And, and that, yes, of course, there are always exceptions. We can find one woman who can outbench one man, you know, 
Um, but in general, we're speaking in, in, in group general terms. <laughs> um, the difference between men and women is not just a matter of ovaries and physical strength, but, but that there actually is something to be said for not just the order of creation, but Paul appeals to the order of the fall. The woman was deceived and became a sinner, whereas the man bears more responsibility, but he sinned with his eyes wide open. Right. So uh, more culpability towards um, deception. That's the way they always put it to like make it, oh, it's, you know, like we have like these uh, distinctions uh, because of the fall and, you know, women are more easily deceived. But, you know, men bear bigger responsibility as, as if like that, you're, that doesn't help. Like it's not, it's not helping your argument to be like, well, men are just smarter than women, but you know, we do have a a greater burden. (laughs) Like, is that supposed to make the woman feel better (laughs) that you're saying, well, you're a dumb, dumb, uh, but you know, we, we got to pay the bills. (laughs) You just, you still call me a dumb, dumb. (laughs) Like what, what is going on here? Uh, stuff is all over the place in his teachings. Uh, again, like I'm running out of time here, but what does it mean to go out a lot? And what is a sower? Oh, and I what... forgot. Uh, this is one of my favorite clips of him because it's just like, I feel like you could just go like full Ben Stiller and just keep this thing going. He's talking about like the Puritans and how great they were and how people use that term of Puritans against them. And uh, that people are doing that now with Christian nationalists are trying to use that term against them, but he's going to use that term. Like the Puritans use that term. The problem with that is you don't know your history. The Puritans weren't like, Oh, we love being called the Puritans. <laughs> like, like, Oh, we love that. And it wasn't like something that they used to like define themselves. Like actually that was much later <laughs> that people like looked at them and like, they are the Puritans. What does it but, mean to go out? And what is a sower? And what is it to sow? And, and it's just, and it's not just, <laughs> like, interpreta- just can you just see it of like, what is a sower? And what is it to sow? And what am I saying? (laughs) I just have fun with stuff like that. That doesn't have anything to do with really anything. But this this clip is one you can go and find of him basically saying like the Christian nationalists are the Puritans. And we're just going to use that term and turn against people who are trying to use it and weaponize it against us. We're going to use it as this term of endearment because we'll take it and we'll use it. Whatever. Ryan, so there's, oh, here's there's, there's that here's group of evangelicals, just to name a couple names because it's helpful, and the Bible sets a precedence for naming false teachers. Russell Moore is a false teacher, and I used to like Russell Moore, but I feel perfectly comfortable saying he is a false teacher. Christianity Today is a false teaching organization. Beth Moore is a false teacher. There's no relation, but Beth Moore and Russell Moore, I don't know if it's just the the similarity in the last names, but they have teamed up. They love each other and they love Satan and doing. What? (laughs) Okay. You're listening to it and like, okay, this sounds like all these other people who are in this camp and then just, and they love Satan. I don't know any Christian who loves Satan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he's going to go into uh, how John Harris of Conversations That Matter, which, who is one of his buddies, um, like he helped him to see that there's this new category uh, that you can call someone a false teacher that Joel previously was unwilling to do. And that is people that you actually think are repentant or uh, uh, regenerate. So like this would be Christians and you could call Christians false teachers. Well, I mean, th- there is precedence for that in Scripture. That part isn't wrong. Um, but to then say that they love Satan, um, no, 
no, you you shouldn't say that a Christian loves Satan. <laughs> like you could say that someone is being tricked. You could say someone is wrong. You could even call them a false teacher because they're teaching falsely. But to say that they love Satan, that's a totally different ballgame, and he knows it. Uh, so he he goes on to talk about how it's fine to call people false teachers. Be regenerate, but was teaching false doctrine. And I think, I think part of the problem, at least I'll, I'll speak personally, part of my hesitancy in calling out some of these guys who are, who are deceiving the church and leading people astray is I, I just didn't feel comfortable naming them because I thought, but, but I really think this guy might be a Christian and is just off the rails. And, and, and I need to wait because God maybe will bring them back. But that's actually not a qualification or a prerequisite for labeling someone as a false teacher according to New Testament standards. It's not. So what do you need to know with certainty in order to call someone a false teacher? The status of their salvation? Whether or not they're regenerate? No. What you need to know in order to to label someone a false teacher is if they're teaching false things. That's it. Are they teaching falsely? If so, then sound the alarm. Be the watchman on the wall. Warn the people that the enemy is at the gates and he is teaching falsehoods and that we should plug our ears and turn away. All right, well, I'll take Joel Webbin's advice. He is a false teacher. Joel Webbin is a false teacher. If you want to use Joel Webbin's categories, which I think actually scripture are more, it's more nuanced than that. Like there, there are other things that you can't just call someone who's wrong a false teacher. But if you want to go with Joel Webbin's, explanation of what a false teacher is, then he fits the bill. He's a false teacher. He teaches false things and he teaches them consistently. Now I want to also just point out something because I'm like one of those background snoopers. I know some of you guys are too. You know, you're watching a video and you're like, what's that on their shelf? Um, (laughs) So, you know, some of the people that he loves to call out, he loves to call out Russell Moore, which again, who cares about Russell Moore anymore? Like, I don't understand this. They look at it as if like Russell Moore is like the godfather of Christianity or uh, modern evangelicalism. Like, I mean, like people like him. Sure. I'm not saying you shouldn't either. I'm just saying like, I don't care about him. (laughs) Like, I'm not, I'm not. Like, oh, what did Russell Moore say about this topic or that topic? Uh, <laughs> but like, it's always Russell Moore or Beth Moore um, or Tim Keller. All right. You know, we could talk about his voice and being like, there's manipulation there. There's manipulation in how he changes his voice to different areas. Uh, and you know, I've gotten people being like, well, everyone has a preacher voice. No, they don't. And if you do have a preacher voice, you need to re- repent of that because it is manipulation. You should get rid of that thing. You should talk to people like how you normally talk. Um, but this, <laughs> you want to call Tim Keller a false teacher, which he has, I think from like that, that background and you have Tim Keller books in the background. <laughs> this is where we're at. This is where we're at. We could talk about a bunch of other stuff. I got a bunch of other clips, but to be honest, I just don't have the time. I got to go pick up kids. So I just wanted to quickly go into a new segment because I spent time on it. This that's who Joel Webbin is, by the way, that's who he is. He's an extremist. I do think he is a Christian. 
Uh, I would call him a false teacher, not just because of his definition of what a false teacher is, but because of the manipulative tactics that he clearly uses. Um, and so when you mix that with manipulative tactics and really dangerous theology of where you're degrading women to such a way that men uh, are just okay with viewing women as sex objects and uh, get to have complete control over their autonomy, like they, like women don't even have autonomy. <laughs> like they just, you know, what is what does your husband think about that? Just follow after your husband. Um, it's 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 dangerous. It's dangerous. He's dangerous. This Christian nationalism stuff is dangerous. He is not a Baptist. He's not a Presbyterian. I have no idea what he is, um, but he does not fit into the bill. If you think that uh, the church should have influence over the government in such a way that you are for Christian nationalism, you don't believe in the separation of church and state, which is a Baptist distinctive. Um, you can see that clearly in every historical Baptist uh, document, and he doesn't hold to that. Uh, will he inevitably wind up like his mentor? I don't know. He seems to have at least some theological fortitude to be able to not be exactly like a clone, like all these other guys that seem to be uh, of Doug Wilson. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't know, because it's just he's changed a lot. <laughs> he's changed a lot and he continues to change. He is not someone you should be looking up after. If someone is telling you, oh, we should have uh, this speaker in. Up here in Canada, I've been getting emails um, because he's being he's speaking with the Liberty Coalition or something like that. Whatever, uh, you know, with uh, the guys out west who were arrested, like the that that company charity, whatever you want to call it, that's uh, going around and speaking about religious freedom. They're using Joel Webin's stuff, and uh, nope, don't listen to that. Um, don't listen to him. You should avoid him. You should uh, plug your ears, like he says about false teachers, you should plug your ears and turn away. Um, but you know what you can listen to? You can always listen to a youth pastor. So let's uh, let's go over, and we got an, a new segment. Uh, youth Pastor Illustration of the Week. Here we go. Do you not realize that the Bible yeah. literally says God cares so desperately for how you treat your wife how gently, how understanding you treat her, that he will not hear your prayers if you don't do that. If you're if you're brutal with them, if you're impatient with them, okay. If 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 you have biting comments towards them, he will literally not hear your prayers. That's such a strong statement, and it's because this ruins families. Oh. So I'm calling you right now okay. to understand that your wife, designed by God, as it says here, is the weaker vessel. Now, that doesn't okay. mean she just sucks at a bunch of stuff. That oh. means that she is like this beautiful teapot. Uh. And you, like, we're like these Yeti mugs. And God designed it that way. No, regardless of what culture says to you, this is what the scriptures say. They are the weaker vessel. And we are called to live with them in an understanding way. And mm -hmm. if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. So... What do you do about that? This doesn't just mean laying down your life for them, like saving them from a train. This means laying down the remote. This means laying down that tone that you have with them mm -hmm. and just attuning to their needs, listening to them, having Attune. a conversation with them, hearing their heart. Your children are going to pick up on it. You're going to set a standard for a generation. a generation. And more than anything, the Lord's going to be pleased. Your mm -hmm. marriage will flourish and he'll hear your prayers. Oh man, so much is going to happen if I just understand. 
that my wife is a teapot <laughs> and I'm a Yeti. <laughs> Why do I gotta use such dumb illustrations? <laughs> oh, I can't help it, guys. I can't help it. Uh, sometimes these youth pastors, they put it on Twitter and, and TikTok. Not that I watch TikTok, but like, <sighs> just, what are you guys doing? Like, can't you just like talk like a normal person? <laughs> also, like, how degrading of women. Oh, I've heard that so often, though. <laughs> women are teapots. I think people just watch Beauty and the Beast too much. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, well, <laughs> it's Mrs. Potts. Uh, nope, nope. <sighs> I don't know. Would you even want to be a Yeti anymore? That's not cool. Don't you want to be a Stanley? Isn't that isn't that the good one now? The big ones, like the and be like the big. I want I want to be the big Stanley. I don't want to be like these little Yeti cups. Are you kidding me? I love Yeti actually. <laughs> there's a there's a Yeti sticker right there. <laughs> All right, guys, that about wraps it up. I won't be doing the penalty boxes. Just don't got time for it. But you know we'll we'll save those and we'll read them at a at a later date. Thanks for hanging out with me. I hope that this was helpful. Uh, and again, understand my heart. All right. Uh, I, I'm not here just to trash people and to be like, oh, this person sucks. This person is the worst. These are people, real people who are changing and trying to follow after an extremist like Doug Wilson. And they're letting that theology impact them. And they're getting these platforms for being extreme. And we need to be very careful about those kind of people who like they aren't even the thought leaders themselves. Like they're, they're not thinking for themselves. They're thinking like, who, who is this guy? What can I say? That's going to be similar to them that will appeal to his audience. And that to me is super dangerous. Um, because again, you're riding that wild horse and eventually you're going to get bucked off, but you're going to hurt a lot of people along the way. I'm not a cowboy. That was a bad illustration. Maybe that was a youth pastor illustration. All right. Uh, I will see you in the next one which will probably be 